right. Good morning. Awesome to be here. I'm so excited. I am still on high from last week. I don't know about you, but uh, this was a very special, special Easter Sunday for me. Many answered prayers, and I pray that you're fired up to continue to invite your friends and your family to be a part of what God is doing in this place. I truly believe that miracles happen here. I believe that, that people find breakthrough in their relationships, in their personal lives, and, and find the very hope that they're looking for. This world is a hopeless world. A lot of problems, a lot of difficulty, and when we gather together and we enter the presence of God, it's not just to come hear a message, it's to engage with the presence of God. Jesus said, when two or more gather in my name, I am here, which means he's here, he's among us. And uh, one of the, the goals of our church, and we talked about this uh, a few months ago in a series about these cultural values that we want to see developed in our congregation is we want to be a spirit-filled church. We want to be a church where the presence of God is in fullness and and that people encounter him when they come. It's not just that they're impressed by the music or like the fact that we've got a kid's play area or nice coffee. We want people to encounter God because when people have an encounter with God, it is life-changing. It is undeniable. And so this is our heartbeat, and it was so awesome that uh, one of the processes we have in place when a guest comes to visit our church is when they fill out a connection card, I uh, follow up with them after, uh, during the week at some point through email and through conversation on, on the phone. And uh, in that email, we send out a kind of a survey on whether, you know, what their experience was like. You know, what are, what are we doing well? What, what were the things that uh, stuck out to them? And one of the surveys we got back said that the moment they entered the school, and they had been here multiple times throughout the week because of different events for their kids, but they said when they came to, to the school, the thing that they were met with was the presence of God. She said it felt different. It's like I've been here multiple times, but when I came on Sunday, it just felt different. This is what we're living for. And so I know God is here and he's ready to pour out his love and his power in this place. And so we need to be about the father's business, encouraging people to come because people need Jesus. And so I'm so excited because God is in the business of making all things new and he wants to make some things new for some of us here today. So last week, we started this new series for Easter called All Things New, looking at the power of the resurrection of Jesus in the life of a man named Saul of Tarsus. And again, just to recap, if you weren't here with us, you can, you can catch the message on YouTube or on our podcast through our website or iTunes or anywhere podcasts are a- accessed. But to kind of sum up last week's message is we were looking at Saul of Tarsus, and Saul was a bad guy who thought he was a good guy. He was a bad dude who thought he was a good guy. And one encounter with Jesus transformed his life from being a man who was paid to kill Christians to becoming the greatest missionary for the Christian faith that the world has ever seen. It's the most remarkable story that you could ever read about the power of the resurrection of Jesus in somebody's life. And we know because Paul testified himself that the reason why God chose him and why God did what he did in his life was to give everyone hope. He said that I was the worst of sinners. So if God could do this in my life, he's doing it to set an example that it doesn't matter who it is, God can do the same work in your life. That the power of the resurrection of Jesus is that power to provide you a second chance. And it begins when you give your heart to the Lord. It begins when you begin a relationship with Jesus and begin to follow him as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, when you make that commitment, when you make that decision to give your heart to Jesus, at that point, the power of God will fill your life. It says the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And it's at that point, God will begin to take your mess and turn it into a miracle. Somebody ought to say amen to that, right? Right? It's so exciting to know that God doesn't just leave us helpless or to struggle, that he invades us to turn what is wrong into what is right. And several of us last week took that opportunity to have a second chance. 
to take God upon his offer, to invite him into your life. And I am so thankful that you made that decision. Some of you here uh, maybe needed to make that decision and didn't. You didn't take it. You knew that God was calling on you, the Spirit of God was working in your life, but for some reason or another, you just didn't come forward. And in a little bit, at the end of our service, when we go into a time of ministry and response, we'll provide you another opportunity to give God your life, to begin a relationship with Jesus. And I know that will be the most important decision you ever make. If you want all things to become new, it begins with Jesus Christ. God wants to do something new in you today. And uh, so we're going to continue in this story because um, it, it's, it's sometimes uh, just difficult whenever you start something new, really when you begin a relationship with Jesus to say, okay, I, I've encountered the Lord. I know he's done something in my life, but where do I go from here? And so we're going to take a look at what God wants to do in you. And he is in the business of making all things new. He wants to do something uh, in you today that is brand new. When I say you, I mean all of us. Everyone here, he is in the business of renewing and restoring. And if you let him today, he is going to begin to birth something new in your life. I want to pray and then we'll start to look at the scripture. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 43 and also Acts chapter 9 today. If you have your Bible with you, or else the verses will also be on the screen or in the YouVersion Bible app. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we come and we ask you right now, open our hearts, open our ears. Lord, you know the needs. You know the heart. You know the circumstances. God, you know the the fears, you know the pain. And God, you also know the answer. And so, Lord, I just ask you, fill this place with your presence. Fill me with your presence. Let nothing that is said be counter to your word. Of your word. Let nothing that is said be a distraction for what you want to do. I pray, Holy Spirit, you lead, speak, change us now. Fill this place with your presence and power. And I just pray that you just unleash that healing power right now for physical illnesses, God, for, for maladies, for impairments, God, but also for spiritual wounds, the wounds that maybe some have been carrying for many years. We just ask you now, God, to be cultivating that something new right now in Jesus' name. And we agree together by saying amen, amen, and amen. Okay, so Isaiah 43 Verses 19 through 20, this is a promise of God to the nation of Israel, but we also know in the New Testament, Paul writes for us that all of God's promises are yes for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the same promises God made Israel apply to us in this current time. And so as we look at Isaiah's prophecy and we relate it to maybe not just their nation and what was going on in their life, but maybe in your own life, we're going to begin to see God's heart for each and every one of us. God's heart for you. God is called Heavenly Father because he desperately desires relationship. And just like anyone who has kids of their own, or, or even if you don't have kids of your own, you can kind of guess that there's a bond, there's a relationship between fathers and sons or fathers and daughters, parents and their kids. And that parents, even though they may not like everything their kids do, there is this everlasting hope for the best for their kids. There's this never dying hope that, that everything will turn out or their kids will make the right decision or that if their kids would listen to their advice that they could help them make good out of their decisions. And so we're gonna begin to see that heart here in Isaiah 43. Beginning in verse 19, this is God speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel, but I also look at him speaking this directly to us in this place today. And here's what he says. He says, for I am about to do something new. Somebody say something new. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert." Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. God is always doing something new. 
The word of God says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. He doesn't just do one thing and then abandon his children. He's always leading us someplace new, like a shepherd leading to pasture land. Once one pasture is uh, is um, eaten and consumed, the shepherd will lead to the next place. Our God is the same way. He's always doing something new, especially in places long devastated. In the places long devastated, ruins, destruction, God always is doing something new. He wants to birth something new and bring reconciliation and restoration to those places devastated. And I believe that God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah that he wants to make a pathway through the wilderness of your life. He wants to make a pathway. He wants to bring something new from the places long devastated in your life. There are places in all of our hearts where there's pain, where there's where there's dysfunction and difficulty, where things we've experienced things in our lives that have caused us hurt and that has had an effect on how we see the world, how we perceive our value, how, how we even make decisions because we're trying to nurse that hurt in our heart. And today God is saying through the prophet that today I want to do something new in your wilderness. I want to make a pathway that leads you to a place of refreshing. Last week, we looked at John 10.10, which Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Your heavenly Father wants you to experience a good life, a new life. And so we're going to see how he's going to do that. He's going to make a pathway through the wilderness. Now, this word wilderness here in Isaiah, in the original language, the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written in, it can also mean a desert or uninhabited land. This wilderness, this desert, is not where people typically want to live. This is a place where people try to avoid. Because what happens in the wilderness is people often get lost in the wilderness and then bad things happen. And we can use this this word to describe these, these times of trial and struggle in our lives. We don't like to go into difficult situations, do we? We, we don't like breakups in relationships or, or pain and betrayal or um, losing your job on, on uh, maybe unforeseen. The, the, there's events that happen that bring pain, and we don't like those uh, places of pain, those times of, and seasons of trial. And so we can look at this word wilderness and apply it to those difficult seasons in our lives because those are situations we desperately try to avoid. We don't like to get lost in the wilderness. Now, I remember a time, now, you, you have to know something a little bit my, about my past. I grew up in, in Springfield, Missouri, and it, it was a college town. There were lots of, lots of things to do. We did things like movies, and we went to coffee shops with about 15 different coffee shops we could go to. There's always live music playing, and my friends and I grew up playing music, and we, we had different bands, and we would play at this church or this Christian coffee house, and that was just kind of the things that we did. I didn't know very many people who actually went outdoors for fun, unless it was to like to play sports in high school. We didn't, we didn't go out in the woods and go hunting. Uh, I didn't have a lot of friends that went fishing or anything like that. Here in Michigan, in this area, it's a little different. You know, you know I, I can't find a coffee house you know, really the, that plays the kind of music or, or, or you know, the same kind of vibe that, that we had back in Springfield. But I can tell you a bunch of people that, that have a tree stand, a tree blind, have a favorite fishing spot, maybe a boat. You know, it's just a kind of a different vibe. So I didn't really grow up really navigating the woods or the outdoors. And, uh, but, you know, bless his heart, my father-in-law decided that he wanted to try to helped me with that, and he's taken me hunting on a few different occasions. And uh, we went turkey hunting one time, and it, it never fails. I think I'm cursed when it comes to this kind of stuff because it never fails. We would go to the fishing spot that's guaranteed to be hot, and we'd catch nothing. We, we'd go out, to the, out into the woods to the place where, man, we always got turkey here, never even seen a bird. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but every time we'd go, it'd just be a miserable failure. But... Um, we went out uh, turkey hunting one time, and it was, it was this state land where we had to park the car, and we had to walk down this trail for you know, probably about a half mile or a mile, and then we got into the woods, and, and we, we decided, you know, we were going to kind of set up, and, um, 
and I was going to be at one point, and then there's like this little hill, and he said, I'll go over the hill, and, and, and we'll call them, and we'll see if we can call some in. So he goes over the hill, and I hear the calls every now and again, and I'm just sitting with my shotgun waiting and waiting and waiting, and then all of a sudden, I don't hear any calls anymore. And I begin to feel like time has gone by long enough to where, okay, I think maybe we need to regroup and, and maybe find a new spot or do something different. But I didn't want to scare anything away if there was anything in the area. So I started kind of calling out, you know, Greg, Greg, and I didn't hear anything. I started whistling, didn't hear anything, started yelling, didn't hear anything. And, I th- and I, all of a sudden, panic began to well up in me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm in the woods. I don't know where I am. And I have lost Greg. And, and, and this was a bad thing because I didn't really pay attention to where, how we got where we, where we came from because I was like, we'll, we'll never get separated. We'll always be together and not a big deal. And I thought, well, I do remember crossing over a little brook at some point. And so maybe I could try to get my way back. But I was faced with this decision. I could either stay where I was. And if I had, I'd probably still be out there in the woods today. Um, or I could attempt to find the pathway the, where you know, we came from and get back to the, the truck. And so, um, again, I, I tried to you know, you know, look over the hill and see where he was, and, and it was to no avail. So I decided, well, it's been long enough. You know, maybe he doubled back and, and is headed towards the truck and just thought I would, I would do that. So I thought, okay, I'll kind of head in the direction that, that we came from and pray to God I find the brook or find something to show me that I was heading in the right direction. And I start walking through the woods. I'm like, that tree looks the same. That tree looks the same. That tree looks the same. So I don't even know if I'm going in the right direction. You know, I was scared out of my mind. I was like, oh, no, this is going bad. But uh, eventually I see the brook. I was like, okay, that looks familiar. And then a little while passed, I see the road and the pathway, and I took that back to the truck. And it wasn't long after that that he met me in the truck. And uh, we were off uh, to uh, move to another place. But you see, the thing about the wilderness and the woods is that in the wilderness, there is confusion. Because it doesn't matter where you turn. If you don't know where you are, it all looks the same. Every decision seems to be uh, the right or the wrong decision. There's confusion. There might be some fear. And depending on what type of wilderness you're in, either the woods or the desert, you also have other kinds of peril to um, watch out for. The wilderness is not the most hospitable place. You might be able to, to survive in the wilderness, but God wants his children to do more than survive. You know, your life might be a mess and a wreck, and you might be surviving, but God's will is not that you just survive. His will is that you thrive. He wants you to have an abundant life. And the thing about our lives is that, again, it can kind of be like a wilderness. And the enemy that we face is trying tirelessly to take us off course, to get us off the beaten path, to get us lost in the wilderness. Our enemy wants us to stay trapped in our pain and our suffering, heading down wrong roads, making bad decisions, things that bring dysfunction and pain into our lives to lead us to areas that will never lead to our freedom or salvation. And the worst part about this this situation we face, the struggle we have with our enemy, is that we're already born into this world on the wrong road. We're all born into this world with a sinful heart. This is why Jesus had to come and to give his life so that we could have a second chance. We could have a shot at finding redemption. We could find the road that leads to salvation. See, if I had not found the path, I would have been in a lot of serious trouble. Greg would not have been able to find me. And uh, knowing him, he probably would have just left me there. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe fingers crossed. But, uh, you know, um, but I would have been in trouble. But not only did I need to find the path, I also had to start walking on the path. It's not enough just to say, okay, here's the path I need to take. But I had to begin walking on the path if I hope to make it out of the woods. And God loves us too much to leave us wandering aimlessly in the desert. And so he intervened and sent Jesus to show us the way, the way to the abundant life. And as God said through the prophet, he's doing something new in the wilderness. God wants to do something new in your wilderness. 
You see, when Jesus shows up in your life, he doesn't just pluck you out of the wilderness and, and tr- you know, like translate you home instantaneously. It's not like Star Trek where you can beam me up out of the pain and, and take me you know, right where I need to be. He doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He shows up in the midst of your wilderness. He doesn't remove you from your pain, but what he does is do something new in the midst of it. He opens your eyes to the pathway that you can take to lead to the healing and the rest that you desperately need. In Isaiah 43, verse 20, the second part of that verse, he says, yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. He wants to bring a river in the midst of your wasteland, in the midst of your pain. He wants to bring a well into your wilderness. So when you give your heart to Jesus, you take him up on his offer to receive a second chance. He begins to bring up a river of refreshing in the midst of the wasteland of your life. Jesus called this the river of life. He told the woman at the well in John 4 that if you believe in me, there will be a a wellspring of life that will overflow and you'll never thirst again. And he's talking about spiritual thirst. He brings this well up in your life to strengthen you for the journey, the journey that he's going to lead you on, on this pathway into the abundant life. As he takes you on the pathway in the wilderness to lead you to his purposes and plans for your life, to lead you to fulfill your divine purpose. And this is where the story of Saul continues. Last week, we saw that Saul had this dramatic encounter with Jesus. He was on his way to kill Christians. Jesus shows up. He's stricken blind. He hangs out in the city. He's praying to the Lord. God sends a man to pray for him. He receives his sight. And then we pick up this story here. You see, if, if Saul had just had this encounter with Jesus, and then he went back to doing the same things that he had done before, started hanging out with the same people that he was hanging out with before, doing the same things, he would not have been able to experience the changed life that he did. Had he not only put his trust in the Lord, but he also had to begin walking the new path that Jesus set before him. You see, a second chance means a fresh start, but with a new beginning has to come a new mindset and also new behavior. With a second chance, you also have to have a new mindset and also new behavior. You see, you can't enjoy the new life if you're still trying to live the old one. You cannot enjoy the new life Jesus wants to lead you into if you're still trying to live the old one. The second chance comes with a fresh start, a new opportunity, but with that fresh start also comes a new mindset and new behavior. And as Jesus sets up a pathway in your wilderness to bring you into the new he's prepared for you, I believe as we look at Saul's life here, we'll see four steps really to take on this path, four initial steps that will help you begin this new journey of faith. And we can see this in the life of Saul. Here are the four steps. I'm going to give them to you and then we'll talk about them briefly. Number one is invest in godly relationships. Invest in godly relationships. Number two is that there's got to be initial change. Initial change. Number three, it's a journey, not an event. We have to remind ourselves, it's a journey, not an event. And number four, we have to prepare for impending opposition. So invest in godly relationships, initial change. It's a journey, not an event, and impending opposition. So in our story, again, we're picking up in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. And we're looking at what God has done with Saul. Beginning in verse 19, Acts chapter 9, here's what the word of God says. It says, after, this is after he received his sight, he ate some food and regained his strength. He's nourished. He's re-strengthened. And then it says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. The first thing Saul does after this encounter with the Lord and this miracle to receive his sight, the first thing he does and the first step on the path that we need to take as believers in Christ, taking God up on this second chance, is he begins to invest in godly relationships. He doesn't just receive this encounter and then abandon you know, what God was doing in his life. What we need to recognize is that being a Christian does not make you perfect. I know we like to think so sometimes. But just because you're a Christian, it does not mean you're perfect. You will make some mistakes. But the reality is is that you're more likely going to receive encouragement 
and wise and godly advice from other believers that, that are going and heading on the same path that you are than if you were to continue to get your advice and be influenced by people who were self-destructing with you before you had your encounter with Jesus. You see, surrounding yourself with people heading in the same direction is a far greater uh, uh, thing that you need to invest yourself into so that you don't fall off the path. It's been said before that if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. And it's so true. The people you surround yourself with, the environment that you surround yourself with will have a dramatic effect on the way you think and the decisions that you make. Unhealthy environments reproduce unhealthy people. Unhealthy influences reproduce unhealthy behaviors. And as you're starting out on this new path with Jesus, taking advantage of this second chance, you need to begin by surrounding yourself with people who are heading in the same direction you are. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Every day, the return of Christ gets nearer and nearer. And as we are looking at the world and we're seeing the signs and we're seeing what the Bible reveals as the, the signs of his return, it says we don't need to get together less and less and less. It says we need to get together more and more and more. It's vital for our Christian life, for our faith journey, that we get together. Some people think Christianity is a solo sport. They'll say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But if that were so, why did Jesus surround himself with 12 disciples? I mean, think about it. Why did Jesus have 12 disciples? Why after he rose from the dead, did he tell them, and at that point it was a group of 120, stay together and wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit? Why did he tell them to go into the world and preach the gospel, teach and train the new believers to observe everything I've commanded you? Why did they bind themselves together, studying the scriptures, learning from the apostles, worshiping together, doing the Lord's Supper together? if they didn't need each other? Why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 did the Apostle Paul write that we're all part of the body of Christ? Each of us are an independent yet uh, truly important part of the body of Christ and God's given us through the Spirit gifts to use to encourage and strengthen one another. There, there are many commands in the New Testament that begin or end with one another. You can't one another one another if you're not with one another. Right? It requires us to get together, to be together, to invest ourselves in godly relationships. We need each other to gather for worship, prayer, teaching, serving, and to do life together for the sole purpose of encouraging each other on this journey of faith. And I know meeting and investing yourself in new relationships can be weird and awkward. Not everybody has an outgoing personality. Many people are introverts and struggle with making uh, new relationships but I want to ask this question. I want you to think about this. Think about how awkward it was for Saul and the people that he was staying with. Think about this story and how awkward it was for Saul to not only meet new people, but also invest in these relationships. It's not an inconsequential thing to invite somebody to stay in your home. It's actually a pretty big deal. See, in our house, we invite people over just to give us the motivation and encouragement to clean our house. I don't know if it's the same in, in your place, but like if we didn't have people over, it'd be like, eh, we'll get to that eventually. You know, when you, when you have four kids running around, it, it can be kind of tough to maintain. But if people are coming over, it's like, we're cleaning. We're going to look under places we never looked under before. We're going to clean stuff we've never cleaned before. And that's just kind of how it is in our home. We spring clean the house, it seems like, every week. But uh, if we didn't have people over, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like that. Inviting someone into your home, especially to stay for an extended period of time, is a big deal. And it was even more so in this culture. The Jewish culture had a strong emphasis on hospitality. There, there's a, a crazy story in Genesis about God sending angels to Lot and he was warning them that God was going to rain down destruction on the city for their wickedness. And so Lot brings these messengers in and, and they're, he, they become his, uh, his guests in his home. And the men of the city gather around Lot's house to attack the house. And what Lot does is he offers up his daughters to protect the guests in his home. 
He'd rather give his daughters up to be, to be killed or to whatever that they were going to do in order to protect the guests in his home. But this is the mindset of the people in the nation of Israel. The hospitality and honoring your guests was a huge deal. So for Saul to stay in this home, it was not an inconsequential thing. Not only was it not inconsequential for those that were hosting him, but as a highly honored guest, you're kind of treated like royalty. This is a, a huge honor. It's something that even the guests didn't take lightly. They honored their hosts. And if you think about what was happening in this story, I mean, Paul or Saul, just a few days before this moment, was on his way to Damascus to arrest and kill Christians. He says that he was staying with believers. Just a few days prior, Saul was trying to kill the people that he was staying with. I mean, put yourself in that story. If I knew somebody was trying to kill me and my family, I'm not inviting them into my home. They're not getting access to my home. I don't care what they say, right? I mean, think about it. Somebody, somebody's trying to do that. Saul has this dramatic encounter. These believers invite him into their home, and he's staying with these believers. If that were me, man, my, I'd be locked and loaded and probably not getting sleep. I'd be waiting for him to, like, try something. I'd be like, you make a move, buddy, you know? But that's what they were doing. They invited him into their home, and he had just been trying to kill them a few days prior. The, this situation was not uh, just something that we should skip over in the text. As we look at what's actually happening, Saul not only was trying to kill them and the miracle of them even allowing him in their home, but think about the guilt and the shame that had to been on Saul as he awoke to the reality of what he was doing. And now he's in this home of the very people that he was trying to kill. Imagine what Saul was dealing with. I mean, this was, there's God all over this situation. There only God can move in a person's life to not only forgive someone who was trying to put you and your family to death, but that then let love so overflow in them that you would invite them into your home. It's an, a powerful powerful thing. So not only were they offering forgiveness, but at that moment, God was able to unleash the power of redemption and reconciliation as his unconditional love was overwhelming Saul. There's so much God in this moment. And the same power, here's what I want you to know, the same power that enabled those hosts, those believers to forgive and lean into Saul to remove the awkward tension of building new relationships in this situation. And the same unconditional love that restored Saul's broken soul from the reality of all the mistakes that he had made that enabled him to feel worthy to be a part of this group and to, to be among these people. The same power and the same love that God implemented in this situation is the same power and love God will implement in your life as you lean in to build godly relationships. See, the reason is many of you don't lean in to build new relationships, to get close to the people that you worship with, is not because you just don't know how to talk to people. There is a fear, there is a shame, there is a, a spiritual issue in your heart that makes you feel unworthy and, and nervous about what other people are going to think about you if they got to really know who you are. But that's the beauty of the love of Christ, because love covers a multitude of sins. We're all broken. We've all made mistakes. We all have a past. If there was a machine that could, you know, you could wear a helmet, it could broadcast your thoughts, we'd all be ashamed because every one of us have stuff. And this is why we need each other. We need each other because God's unconditional love is meant to overflow through us to help restore, reconcile, and build each other up. And we need each other in humility to lean in to help one another walk on this new path that God has laid out for us. See, pride is not the pathway to second chances, but humility is. Humility helps you lean in. Pride causes you to push back. We need to recognize our need for other believers. And even Saul submitted himself under the mentorship of the apostles to ensure that he was headed in the right direction. We need each other. We need to lean in. We need to build relationships. We all will need encouragement, and we all need to encourage. The second step 
that we need to recognize on this journey, on this new pathway, is immediate change. You see, Saul's life came with immediate change. Not perfection, but immediate change. There was significant change, and people took notice. In Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 21, it says, Immediately, this is right after his encounter with Christ, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And they asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and make them in chains or, or take them in chains to the leading priests? You see, when Jesus enters a life, there is change. There is immediate change. It's undeniable. It's noticeable. Whether it's in how you talk, maybe it's in your attitude or your disposition, how you carry yourself. Maybe you, you used to walk around constantly depressed. Now there's joy in your life. There is immediate change and there is a new desire to honor Jesus with your life. Even if at one time in your life you prayed a prayer, if you prayed a prayer in your life one time at a church function, something at some point, and it didn't mess you up severely in a good way for Jesus, that made radical change, you might want to question your conversion. Because when you meet Jesus, it changes you. It radically changes you. When Jesus shows up, it will mess you up. Uh, this past week, my wife and I got date night on Friday night, and we were able to uh, go out to uh, Texas Roadhouse. Someone gave us a, uh, a gift, so thank you for that, and uh, made it for a cheap date, but it was an awesome date. And uh, we were there at the dinner table, and, and like we always do, we, uh, or try to, we ask our waitress if there's anything that we could pray for them about when, before we bless our meal. And uh, our waitress was kind of dismissive, and uh, she said, well, just pray for my mom. She just got out of the hospital. And we're like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll pray for your mom. And so we did. We prayed for her. And as we were waiting on her to return, it's like God impressed upon us that, that she was, like, dealing with back problems, like had back pain. And uh, so we were waiting and waiting and waiting. It was really busy in there. But when she came back to the table, uh, we, we just asked her, we said, you know, we just felt like after we prayed for you that, that you're dealing with back pain. Do you have back pain? And she's like, oh my gosh, yes. She's like, for the last couple months, it's just been horrible. I take like Motrin for it all the time. And we're like, okay, well, God, let us know. Can we, can we pray for you? And she's like, well, yeah, sure. And, and I was like, well, can we pray for you right here? And she's like, yeah, go ahead. And and we found out it was, it was her like middle to lower back that was hurting her. So my wife and I, we put our hands on her. And we prayed right there uh, for the pain to go. And, and when she was done, she was like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And just as we normally do, we're like, well, check it out. See, you know, is there any change? And she's like, well, I'll let you know as I'm walking around. We're like, okay. You know, we go to, you know, eat our, uh, I think, rolls and cinnamon butter. I mean, that, that butter is sinful. If you've ever been to Texas Roadhouse, avoid the butter. It's too good. It's too good. I just spoon filled that stuff, you know. Ah. But uh, we're sitting there. We're waiting for our food. And moments later, like, she, she comes back. She doesn't come to the table. She sits next to my wife in, in the bench. And she's like, dude, y'all, you guys had me, like, going there for a minute. Like, like messed up. It's like, I, I was back there. I was about to take a Motrin. And I'm like, I don't even need to take a Motrin. Like, my back is feeling so good. And, and I was like, I was back there shaking. I was like, what just happened to me? I like, like I, I normally need to take medicine, and I, I didn't even know what's going on. I'm like, and people were asking me what was wrong. And I was like, well, these people just prayed for me. And I'm like, my back doesn't hurt, and I don't know what's happening. And, and so she's like, man, she's like, I've got a friend here who, who's got back problems too. They need this. And I'm like, well, go get her, you know. And, uh, and so she brought that waitress back. We got to pray for her, and she's all crying and stuff. But the thing is, even though both of them believed in Christ, they both had an encounter. And they both encountered the heart and love of God. When God shows up, I don't care if you've been saved your whole life or you're just meeting Christ, it has an effect. It has an overwhelming effect in your life. God has a way of making cold hearts hot in a moment when his presence shows up in your life, when you have an encounter with his love. And this is what we're, we're talking about. There's immediate change that happens when you have an encounter with Christ. There's a life that transforms in those moments. This life of faith is a partnership, and the change God brings into your life, here's the key, will only be matched by the effort you put in to allow him to change it. The change that God wants to bring into your life will only be matched by your effort. God is not a tyrant who forces himself on people. 
He invites you into the partnership. He invites you into the relationship. And so he'll take you as far as you're willing to go. How far are you willing to go? How much change do you want? How much of your life do you want him to turn upside down? How much second chance do you really want? James, in his book in the New Testament, he tells us not to just hear the word, but you have to do it. It's not enough just to hear about God and know that he can do things. We have to put into practice the very things that we believe, the very faith that we cling to. We need to capitalize on the immediate change in every encounter we have by acting on that change, by letting that immediate change create immediate action in our lives so that immediate action will become our new way of life. If we don't act on the change, we let it fade away, it won't have the impact that God desires for it to have in our lives. The third step is that we need to remind ourselves it's a journey and not an event. Acts chapter 9 verse 22 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. Somebody say became. Let me know you're following along. It became more and more powerful. It says, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was the Messiah. Here's the key about that word became. If something became, that means it didn't start out at the top. It says it became more and more powerful. That means there was a time when it wasn't as powerful. There was a time where he wasn't at the top. We think of him as the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, but there was a point where he had a small beginning. When Saul gave his life to Christ, he wasn't instantaneously perfect. He wasn't the the most professional or well-versed theologian. He wasn't even the most powerful worker of signs and wonders and miracles in the Holy Spirit. When Saul started walking out in his faith, God used him, but it says his preaching became more and more. That means as you take the journey of faith, as you walk on the path God sets before you, and you continue to follow the Lord, you will become more and more what God has purposed for you to be. And the the problem is, is that we look at one another and we say, I don't pray like that person. I don't sing like that person. I can't preach like that person. I'm not as faithful as this person. I, I, I don't know as many Bible verses as this person. And we allow the enemy to fill us with discouragement because we're comparing ourselves to other people who are also on their own spiritual journey. The enemy wants you to get focused on how you're not as good as someone else so that he can sling guilt and condemnation into your life. He can discourage you to make you feel like it's not working, it's not having an effect, you're not really growing, you know, your your marriage will never be like their marriage and and all of these things. But look at Romans chapter 8 verse 1. You should memorize this verse if you have not already. Romans 8.1, Saul himself writes this to the church of Rome. He says, therefore, there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling condemned in your spirit, it is a lie from Satan. Knock it off. God says you're not condemned. You are accepted. You are his son. You are his daughter in whom he is well pleased. God is well pleased with you. There is no reason to be condemned. All your sin, all the nasty in your life was put on the cross of Jesus. He did not endure the suffering he went through for you to continue to walk around with your head down low. Matter of fact, in Psalm 3, it says, But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory and the one who lifts my head up high. When the enemy condemns you, you look to the sky and remember who is the one that's taken your sin away. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new has begun. If you have given God your heart through trusting in Jesus Christ, you are not what you were. And you cannot be defined by what you've done. You are not what you were. And you cannot be defined by what you've done. All things have become new. God now, through Jesus, gets to define you. All the condemnation, all the guilt, all the shame that the enemy speaks into your life is a lie. It's a lie. 
Don't let the enemy discourage you because you don't think you're as good or as polished or as powerful in the spirit as someone who's been following Jesus their whole life. Don't neglect to pray because you don't pray like someone else. Don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus because you don't have a seminary degree. If the spirit of God lives in you, then you have everything you could possibly need. We're all on the same journey, heading in the same direction. We just might all be on a different place on the path, and that's okay because we're all here to encourage each other. We're all here to strengthen one another, to become and reach our fullest potential in Jesus Christ. Our mission here at Vertical Life Church, our mission statement is we engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We recognize that we're all on this journey. We're all heading in the same direction. We're not here to condemn you for not being where someone else is. We're here to encourage you and speak life over you and encourage you to continue to pursue Christ because that's how you're gonna reach the destination. Saul's preaching had to become more and more powerful, which reveals to us that as we follow Christ, as we learn to walk in his spirit, we too are going to grow and become more and more what God desires for us to be along the way. Number four is we have to prepare for imminent opposition. Imminent opposition. Acts 9, 23 through 25, it says, after some time, the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him, but Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through the opening in a city wall. We have an enemy. Jesus said, he calls him the thief. It's the devil. He exists to steal, kill, and destroy. This is all he wants to do. Every lie he peddles, every uh, accusation he levies against the people of God, he wants to destroy. He desperately wants to knock you off course, derail your faith. He wants to bring as much pain as he can into your marriage, into your family, into your workplace, into your relationships. He wants to uh, fill your life with so many lies to get you to believe that you'll begin to step off the path in, in making decisions that will bring brokenness into your life. Satan wants to find a way to discourage your newfound encouragement, to weaken your newfound strength, to stifle your newfound faith, to diminish your newfound hope. This is what he wants to do. And Jesus, in his uh, teachings, tells a story about a parable of a farmer who sows seed on the ground, and he throws seed in many different areas of soil, and each one represents a spiritual truth. And there's a, a seed that falls on the ground, and these birds come by and eat the seed and fly away. And when Jesus reveals the, the, the revelation or the truth behind this, this illustration, he reveals that the birds represent the enemy who sweeps in when God plants truth in the heart of a person. When God begins to work in somebody's life, the enemy comes in and begins to steal that truth, begins to work in their life so that they release what God is doing and he can actually uh, unroot that truth, that he can knock you off course. He can actually take that encounter you had with Jesus and make it to no effect so that you won't continue to pursue the Lord. And the question is, why would the enemy do this? Why does the enemy not want you to know the truth? Why does he not want you to be in the word of God, studying scripture, learning the promises of God, getting to know Jesus in a very intimate way, learning to walk in the spirit? Well, it's for a very specific purpose. In John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus says to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You are my disciples if you stay on the path. You cling to your hope. You stay in the word of God. You pray. You learn intimacy. You walk in faith. You do the ministry. If you continue to be faithful to my teachings, this is what is going to keep you on the right path. And there's something he says in verse 32. He says, if you do this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The enemy wants bondage. Jesus wants freedom. And the enemy's gonna do whatever he can to bring bondage into your life. And Jesus has come that you might have freedom. Satan wants to rob you of the truth of God in your life to promote his plans to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll do it either by you making mistakes that, that cause shame and condemnation or somebody in your life betraying you, causing you hurt, making you feel so ashamed that rather than running to God, you run away from God. 
But if you hold fast to the teachings of Christ, you cling to the truth, you believe him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not only will you find freedom, but you'll remain free. Jesus has won your right to be free. He did it on the cross. And in John 8, 36, it says, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. You're truly free. What lies have you believed? What have you allowed the enemy to do in your life to steal, kill, and destroy? What's in your heart that God wants to touch today to bring your freedom? You see, a second chance comes with a new pathway. If you wanna stay on the path, first thing you have to do is you have to give Jesus your heart. You have to say, Lord, I recognize that I've made some mistakes, but I want a second chance. I believe Jesus died and rose again that I could have a second chance. So today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And when you do that, when you commit your heart and your life to him, God gives you a second chance. Jesus will show up in your life. The spirit will come and live inside of you, giving you the power to overcome the dysfunctions and the difficulties that you've been dealing with. And then he will open your eyes to a new pathway to begin to live in a way that leads you towards freedom in every area. And as you walk that new path, there are four initial steps. The first thing is you need to begin investing in godly relationships. Work on changing the environment that's led you to dysfunction into an environment that's gonna encourage your hope. And get connected here. This is why we exist here in Clio. Why we meet week in and week out is to provide you a place where you can connect with other believers and receive encouragement. Get involved here. Don't let one moment uh, of an emotional experience become a singular event in your life. Capitalize on that. Capitalize on your second chance. As God is doing something new in you, you begin doing something new with you. As God is doing something new in you, you have to begin doing something new with you. Don't let the enemy cause this new fire to die down and your immediate change to change back into old ways. Take a step on this new path. Begin doing something new. You can start by filling your mind with truth. Begin reading a chapter of the Bible uh, every day. You might not read the Bible at all. Well, the Bible is filled with the revelation of God. Jesus said, remain in the truth and it will set you free. The enemy doesn't want you in the word because he knows you're gonna find your freedom in the word. So begin by starting with a chapter a day. You may like be Pastor Joey, I don't really know where to start. I've kind of looked at it before and I didn't really understand what I was reading. Well, Jesus is a pretty cool guy. You should get to know him. There's a gospel called the Gospel of John, fourth book in the New Testament, easy to find. Begin there. Learn who Jesus is. Learn what he taught. Learn what he did. Start with a chapter of John a day. And before you read, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, Reveal yourself to me. Speak to me. Reveal Jesus to me. And then read. And then after you're done, pray again and pray about what you read. If you didn't understand something, ask the Spirit. It's his job to teach you and to lead you into truth. Or if you still don't understand what you're reading, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that gather here each week. Call one of them. Get connected with them. Start doing a Bible study. Do something new that you've never done before to encourage you to stay on the right path. Pray about what you read. Begin to tell people what God has done in your life. Don't keep what God has done in you silent. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Don't let what he's done in your life stay a secret. The greatest testimony and witness you can give to somebody is the evidence of what God has done in your own life. You don't have to be a theologian with every book of the Bible memorized to share Jesus with somebody. You just gotta tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. We need to remember that this is a journey. Jesus doesn't expect perfection. He just wants your heart. He wants you to lead in, lean in, to seek him. He's justified you by his grace. He's sanctifying you every day by, your, by his spirit. He'll take care of the changing. It's up to you to lean in one day at a time. And remember, finally, there will be opposition. The enemy will come against you. Paul in Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and the rulers in the heavenly places. We have an enemy. He comes for all of us. Everyone who confesses Jesus is a target of this enemy. If you expect the opposition, then when he comes and you enter into battle, you can lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you weather the storm. And when the storm is over, you'll still be standing firm. 
If Saul had not invested in godly relationships, there would have been no one to warn him that people were trying to kill him. Nobody would have been there to lure him in the basket. We need to take these steps to ensure that we're standing firm when the attack comes. The Holy Spirit, your faith in Christ, and the church is your lifeline that God is gonna use to keep you heading towards his purposes for your life, to keep you from being derailed by the enemy. We need to expect imminent opposition as we walk in faith. But remember, even in the midst of the battle, even in the midst of the struggle, God is doing something new which means your best days are yet to come. Doesn't matter your struggle. Doesn't matter your hardship. It doesn't matter your mess. God is making a way in the wilderness. He's creating a river to bubble up in the midst of your desert land. And if you give him your heart and your life, you'd be amazed at the miracles he does in your mess. Let's pray as we go into a time of response. Father, I just thank you in this moment. In this moment, Lord, as we look at your truth, so often we allow the enemy to bring distraction and discouragement. We give the enemy ground in our lives to knock us off course. But you are so rich and kind in mercy. You're slow to get angry. You're filled with unfailing love. That you promised in your word you would never leave us or forsake us. Which means any time we realize that we've made a mess in our lives. We call out to you in Jesus' name. We confess our sins. It says you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, there are people here today that have trusted you, but they've fallen off the path and they need a second chance. I know you're speaking to their heart right now and you're like, you know, I'm the one that I had to... I had an encounter with God, but I just kind of let that encounter diminish. And I went my own way. And now I recognize that my life has become a mess. And Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart. I need you to open my eyes and get me back on the right path. And then there's some here today that they might be aware of you, but they've never ever in their life have given you their heart. They're afraid for many reasons to let you in, God, because of all the people that have hurt them. Lord, they think that maybe you'll hurt them too. So right now, Lord, under the sound of my voice, I ask you, Holy Spirit, whoever they are, you just touch them with your love and your peace. And Holy Spirit, you draw them. And as we go into this time of response, Lord, if they... They know in their heart that they don't have a relationship with you. But they're ready for a second chance. They're ready for you to work miracles in their mess and to begin by taking them on the journey from this day forward to the life that you've purposed for them. God, I pray in just a moment they take you up on that offer and they'd come forward and they'd pray with me to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fall in this place, to anoint us for healing, to anoint us for for prophetic words, to anoint us for encouragement. Holy Spirit, that you'd raise up people in this place, Lord, that your presence would just descend, and that for the next few moments, God, that you would bring breakthrough. Discouraged hearts would rejoice. Sick people would find healing. And that your name, Jesus, is glorified in this place. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask the prayer team to come forward. As Tony leans us, we're going to go into a time of response. The microphone is available down here. If God is leading a word of encouragement on your heart to share with the church, maybe he's done something in your life that you want to give testimony in order to encourage the body and their faith. The microphone is here. It'll be available. But I just challenge you, if you're the one, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. You've never invited him into your life and you want a second chance. I invite you now as we stand to come forward.
If you are hurting or if you need a breakthrough or you have sickness in your body and you need healing, now's the time. And let's just allow the Spirit of God to work in this place. Let's all stand together as we sing. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Feel God speak. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Who oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with. 
seated for just a moment. I just want to stay in an attitude of prayer. I just really feel in my spirit that somebody needs prayer. Somebody, God's speaking to you right now. You need to give your life to Jesus. You know it, but you're afraid. God is saying to you right now, do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I love you beyond measure. If you're feeling the weight of God on your heart, you know that he's calling your name. Take a step of faith. Let me encourage you. This is going to be the greatest day, the greatest moment of your life. As you begin to feel the weight of the pain begin to lift. Maybe you're here and you have physical issue, sickness, pain in the body, whatever it is. Be here for a few more moments. If you need to come forward for prayer for anything, we'll be here. We're going to stay in an attitude of prayer and worship for just a few more moments.